your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. Like the guy just said, that's the talking text line. Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel is in studio with me. I think this is the first time you've been in studio. So. First time with it, yeah. Are you like going to dinner after that? <laughs> is that what hey, wife, hang out for an hour, go go shopping, and then we'll go to dinner. Get home and do some kid stuff. And do some kid stuff. Um, is this, when it comes to the school year, this little window here from maybe like this t- tomorrow, today, and well, Tuesday is Halloween, right? Is this like the best time of the year when it's like the, for kids activities? Uh, I don't know if the kids come to school on Tuesday. I don't know if you dress up. Uh, like what's, is that like the best time of the year? Uh, this is a, a fun time of year. There's lots of stuff going on. I think as we get into the December time frame, though, we got holiday celebrations and other things. That's a great time of year as well. Um, we start off the year on a real high note, and then the honeymoon wears off after a little while. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the area we're well, at Well, this right year now. started really weird, right? You had Did you have one day of school? You had Friday? Like, we came back to school on a Friday because that's the earliest you try to just get all the days in. And then it was a, was it a three-day weekend because it was like Memorial or Labor Day, right? Yeah, one day and then Labor Day. That works out in a lot of cases. It's a soft landing. Kids get oriented, find out their classroom, and then off and running the next week. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that's almost perfect because everyone comes in on a Friday. Everyone's happy anyway. I always say if you're going to take a day off, don't take Friday off. Take Monday off. And so you you just get whatever it is that teachers get out of the way on a Friday. And then you come back the next week. It's already a short week, so we don't even have the Monday. We have a Tuesday, so... Everyone's thinking like, oh, we only have four days of this. So maybe we should just do that every year. Just start it that way every year. Yeah, I think what I've heard from most teachers and parents is if we had two days the week before uh, Labor Day weekend and then came back with a four-day week, kind of ease back into school, uh, get kids' endurance up and our own endurance up, and uh, that's a great way to start the school year. The other thing I was thinking too, okay, so if Halloween is – it could be the best time of the year. Could it also be the worst time of the year because all the kids are hopped up on sugar? They got candy all the time? Yeah, the the sugar makes a difference. We find the same thing around the torchlight parade. Man, the next day can be a little tough. <laughs> are they because they're bringing in candy? Because I feel like maybe they ate all the candy the night before, and then the next day they're just, like, beat, like they're out of it. Ate all the candy, stayed up late, had a great time, which we love, but they are a little tired the next day. That's got to be good, though. That's like when you have a, a puppy and you get it all wore out, and then you're like, oh, the puppy's the cutest it's ever been because it's just sleeping. But that's not great for learning, I suppose. Yeah, we want kids engaged <laughs> and ready to read. Uh, and when you're tired, sometimes you get a little ornery, and uh, you know that can be a problem, too. 608-785-7914. If you got a question, shoot me a text uh, with Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Nuggle. Um, all right, so some of the stuff we want to talk about, I just the, the very broad way of saying this, we got to close a couple of elementary schools or all elementary school. What's is, is that accurate? Is that that's the thought process? That's what we're going through right now? Uh, yeah, so we've uh, convened a facility advisory committee that's been meeting since April uh, to explore if we need to consolidate elementary schools. It's part of the same three big trends that we've been talking about for two years now. We've got uh, declining enrollment, deficit budgets, and aging buildings. And so this is just the next iteration of finding solutions to those problems. All right. So we can get into that a little bit. Um, I got to bring up 
truancy again because that was like last year when you told me about this the end of last year it was it was big news maybe we didn't make big enough news of it like maybe that was my fault but it's it's still a problem so we want to talk about that a little bit uh enrollment is down a little bit um again so that kind of plays along with the the closing or potential closing consolidation we don't like to use the word closing is that how that works or just we'll say consolidation better and then uh, I have on my list standards, standards-based grading. I kind of want to talk. I, I, I like to make you guys explain that all the time. But you just told me uh, before the show that elementary school has been doing standards-based grading for over a decade, almost a, maybe 15 years. Yeah, we've had standards-based grading here in La Crosse for many, many years. Our elementary parents are very familiar with it. Okay, so but but the high school, but at the high school, that's a new thing this year, right? It's just they you've implemented that, or is it like a slow implementation? Is that how, or do you just now we're doing it? Yeah, we've been working on it for three years, had a lot of runway, and now we're getting to the point where it'll show up on report cards and be providing uh, students and parents with a, a lot more information. All right, so six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four is the talk and text line. Doctor Aaron Engels hanging out. If you want to give us a call, shoot us a text. Um, oh, last thing. I'm going to get this wrong because I did. I was going to ask you this, but I forgot. You're in the National Guard? Yes, I'm in the Wisconsin Army National Guard. Okay, so this is like you, you're, this is like way off the, the, the beaten path here, but the stuff happening in Israel, the stuff happening in Ukraine, does what you do, you, and you do something with the National Guard, it's like, one, is it for you too, just once a month thing? Is that how that works? Yeah, I go in once a month and two weeks in the summer, so to speak, and uh, help out um, uh, with uh, various things. Right now, I'm a, a battalion commander of a unit that does training, and uh, my sister battalion, they do artillery training. And so um, they have been uh, affected by the war in Ukraine with all the artillery shells and equipment that goes over there. And so uh, it certainly impacts um, us as soldiers in the Wisconsin Army National Guard. Some of my fellow soldiers actually went over and trained in Ukraine a number of years ago. So they've got connections over there as well. Uh, we're uh, always interested in conflict that's going on in the world, how we can uh, be ready to support our state or our nation when they call. Is it just one of the things that's conscious and on your mind, or is it something when you go in, there's actually like, uh, like okay, this is potential. We might have to, I don't know, does anything change? Besides maybe your, your thought process that things are happening in two different areas now. Yeah, we're certainly always thinking about things as soldiers, uh, and sometimes there's uh, uh, resourcing requirements or there's uh, changes to equipment or training that comes around as a, as a result, and depending on the level of conflict, potential deployments. And so it's certainly something that as leaders we're, we're thinking about and trying to be prepared for whatever may come. Same can be true for a tornado or a flood. Here in Wisconsin, we need to be prepared for those things too. So, you know, not only international conflict, but local weather events. Yeah, those those ones, they obviously those just happen. The Israel situation is one of those where you can watch it kind of like develop and, uh, you know, gain steam, so, so to speak. So I don't know that. And, and obviously then it's a war zone. So it probably weighs on you a little bit differently. Yeah, the risks are a lot different. Uh, it's certainly something that, um, you know, if you've been paying attention to international politics, has been present for decades and decades. Uh, and so our, our leadership is aware of, of, you know, national and international trends, and uh, we're always uh, trying to be prepared for what could come next. All right, we're going to take a break. Dr. Aaron Engel hanging out this hour. We'll be back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608. 608- 785-7914 is the talk at text lines. Lacrosse Schools Superintendent 
Dr. Aaron Engel is in here. Do you get offended when I call it lacrosse schools because it's the school district, uh, the, the lacrosse school district of lacrosse, right? Like that's the official. No, I'm sure you don't. Um, all right. Well, I, I want to talk about the facilities advisory committee, but we're going to do that in the next segment. And that's uh, the, the easy way to talk about that is the school district is discussing school consolidation or closing, closing possibly two elementary schools. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but right now I want to, first of all, truancy, the last time you came on, well, last year at the end of the year, you said truancy was a big problem and you threw a whole bunch of stats that I don't have in front of me, but it was, it was very eye opening or jaw dropping, I guess maybe is a better cliche there. Um, and then last month when you came on, you said it was still kind of a problem. So has it, has it tempered down? Has it leveled off? Have you come up with solutions to kind of, uh, I guess get kids Get kids to stop drop not dropping out, but skipping school, right? That's basically what truancy is. Yeah, uh, we have students that aren't showing up for school, and uh, we provide great opportunities at school for learning, for mental health, for counseling, for athletics and co-curriculars, but they don't benefit from that if they're not there to receive it. Uh, and so when students aren't present at school, it can be a really big deal. Uh, the problem still exists in lacrosse. It's, it's about the same as it was at the end at, of last year. Um, you know, we've got 40% plus of students who are chronically absent already, which means they've missed about 10% of school. So when you say that, if you had 100 kids at your school, you're saying 40 of them are missing? How, how, do, what, how does, uh, can you explain that? Yeah, if there is, were, that, is it just that simple? Yeah, if there were 20 days in the, in the month, they, uh, out of those 100 kids, 40 have missed at least two days. Oh, okay. And early in the school year, it doesn't rise to that big a concern, but by the end of uh, 180 days of school, that's almost a month of school a student misses. Uh, it adds up and it starts to impact their education. So we're at a 40% level where kids are missing, is it 5%? What is the 10%. 10%. Yeah. Okay. So that's crazy, right? Like that's it. How does that compare? Do you talk, to, you must talk to other districts. Are they having the same problems? Absolutely. We're talking to other school districts across the county and across the state, even across the nation to try and identify the best solutions for this. Um, there's lots of causes for it, lots of different strategies. We have great preventative and early intervention strategies in place uh, to help our, our students uh, overcome any barriers they might have and get to school on a regular basis. Uh, and we're continually seeking more uh, ideas in order to help kids get to school. Um, and when you talk to the other districts, is is it is it the same problem that the, are the numbers the same are are they are we seeing or is the lacrosse unique here? Uh, it varies by school district. Uh, we have a slightly higher uh, case of absenteeism than maybe some others, but it's certainly a common problem across school districts across the nation. Um, is it a city thing? Uh, like are, is Eau Claire similar to you? If you just go to the similar school district sizes, yeah, city school districts have more similar characteristics, and absenteeism certainly is one of those. Um, what are the solutions? You just, uh, I mean, last time you talked about even getting the police involved and having, uh, is it, uh, do you have to, obviously you have a, a lot of conversations with parents, uh, Hey, your kid's not showing up. I, I don't know. Like, but is it, and obviously it's been consistent if it's, we've, we've had this last year and now it's continued. Yeah, we reach out to parents consistently throughout the process. We send uh, letters, we do home visits, we have 
wraparound meetings to, to identify barriers uh, and potential solutions. We want to involve the family and what those solutions look like. As students get older, you know, we're really sitting down with the student to identify barriers to attendance and, and what we can do to, to fix that. We've got great partnerships with some businesses in the area. Uh, Maury's uh, Auto Group has partnered with uh, our secondary schools to provide incentives for showing up, including, you know, $50 gift cards if they have better attendance this month than last month. Uh, so we've got lots of incentives to show up, uh, lots of uh, uh, contact and problem solving. Uh, at a certain point, though, folks just need to show up to school. Yeah, you can't give them candy because then we're, we're getting back to the like sugar rush thing and then the kids will be sleepy again. Um, where does it stem from? Do we, do we just go back to COVID and go kids were online learning and they think that even though we're back in person school, they can continue to online learn, even though they're probably not online learning as well. I don't know. Yeah, COVID has a, a lot to do with it. Before COVID, our absenteeism rate was down around 18%. So it's more than doubled since then. Uh, during COVID, we were telling kids to go home for two weeks at a time if they didn't feel well. Uh, parents got into the habit of keeping their kids home a lot longer than we traditionally did when they were ill. Uh, and then we also built out a lot of resources for students when they missed school. So whether it was virtual learning or, you know, plugging in online through Zoom uh, or our learning management systems like Canvas, where a student could uh, come in the next day after they missed and they have access to all their assignments, learning, PowerPoints, maybe even recorded videos. Uh, and so kids just have access to a lot more than they used to. And they might not feel like it's as big a deal if they miss. Is it? Can can they can they, what are they missing out on? I mean, obviously the in, the 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 in person interaction, uh, but but when they're truant, are they falling behind as well academically? Do you see that? Yeah, what we're finding is that they are falling behind, generally speaking, and they're also missing out on social connections, uh, participation in extracurricular events, access to mental health services. All of those things are protective factors to ensure that they're successful in high school and beyond. Is there a grade level here that is more truant than, is it high school kids? Is it middle school? It would be weird if it was like first graders because, A, they wouldn't have been in school during the pandemic. We probably see that those early, what, the is it first and second grade probably didn't experience a pandemic in school, so we don't see a problem there? Yeah, absenteeism is better at the elementary school, and it, it gets worse as you go up through the ages till, you know, at, a, at the senior level, it might be 60% of seniors find uh, that they're just at home too much or missing school for some reason. And those are the students that were most impacted by the pandemic. So it makes some sense. Um, okay, what, what kind of did I, I feel like I asked you, but I don't know if I came to a conclusion. What, what kind of solutions? besides incentivizing, I mean, do kids, that's weird. Like $50 gift cards for, it just seems like out of, I mean, very out of the ordinary. So you, and, but the problem is also like extraordinary, right? Like, so we got to come up with some weird solutions. Yeah. Extraordinary problems require extraordinary solutions. You know, we want to work with parents and families on a voluntary basis as much as possible. You know, at a certain point, you know, it is state law to go to school. And uh, if you're not showing up at school, we've got to find ways to, to get you there. And, you know, whether that's through truancy tickets or uh, working with the, the DA's office to compel you to go to, to school uh, or, or the municipal judges, you know. Do parents get in trouble for this? 
parents can get in trouble for uh, failing to send their their child to school. You know, especially if it's like a kindergarten or a first grader, like they're not responsible for right. I get that. Yeah, you know, but even at the middle school or high school level, a parent could be responsible uh, for truancy. Is there is there a finger to point there when it comes to especially at the high school level? I mean. We live in a society now, right? Like when we were growing up, and I don't know if it's true for you, but mom was home, dad was at work. Uh, now, mostly, most of the time, I think both parents are at work. So, like, you hope the kid, okay, you get on the bus or whatever it is, and then I'm going to work, and then you just kind of, kind of trust the fact. So, um, I don't know, like where where do you where do you put the blame? I suppose. Yeah, society's definitely different than it was, you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago. Uh, and that certainly makes everything a little bit more challenging. But that, I guess that, that it's not relevant, though, because this wasn't a problem three, what, four years ago, too, right? So yeah, something it's, changed. It's Obviously, the pandemic changed it. Yeah, the pandemic changed it. I mean, that's really the, the cause. It just changed people's expectations and our culture around this. And despite our efforts at the, the school, parents just haven't come around yet. And uh, for the parents that work with us, you know, we don't have troubles. You know, we're able to figure out a solution. You know, maybe it's a, a food insecurity or a housing issue or a transportation issue. If parents are willing to work with us, we can figure that out. You have the virtual academy. How often is that the solution? Um, the virtual academy can be a solution, uh, but we want kids to attend there yeah. too. So if you're not attending in person for some reason. Do we have a 40% truancy level at the virtual academy? Uh, it's a little bit better. Yeah. You can attend in slightly different ways. And especially, um, one of the, the benefits of a virtual academy is you can learn at your own pace. So you might take care of a bunch of work on Monday and Tuesday and, you know, not have to attend as much on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And so that's one of the benefits of that kind of educational model. All right. 608-785-7914 is the talk of text line. We're just going to start this conversation. We'll have to continue it. Um, standards-based grading is happening at the high school level. This is the first year of its implementation. Uh, first, I'll have you explain it, and then I'll ask at the other, other side of the break uh, you know, some of the difficulties. But can you just explain standards-based grading? Yeah, standards-based grading is something we've had in place at the elementary level for many years in our school district. We've been implementing it over the last three years at our secondary schools. Uh, and the basic idea is we want to tell kids up front what they need to know. Then we want to design tests and assessments that test them on those specific things, those standards. Uh, and then we report back to kids how they did on those standards. So instead of giving a student a, you know, 85% on a test, we would let them know, hey, in uh, cell biology, you, got, uh, you did pretty well. You're meeting our expectations. Uh, in um, chemistry, you're uh, struggling. You're not meeting our expectations yet. And in... Um, you know, anatomy and physiology, you're exceeding our expectations. You're really able to extend that knowledge to other situations. So it's just being more transparent with students and families about what a student knows and what they need to do to improve. The, the way I take standard-based grading, too, is every kid learns at their own pace, right? So if, if, if the talk like that at the beginning of the year is you're not doing so well, you're, you're a little behind the standard, um, there's there's some leeway there, right? Like you're not getting Fs, 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 and then at the end of the year you're getting A's. That would average out to a C because you're still giving grades. So like, is it different then if a kid like starts to slowly kind of, I don't know, if his learning gets better, if he starts to figure it out a little bit better as as the year goes on? Is, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, some people call that trend grading. Let's see where you are at the end, not necessarily at the beginning. And I think about it as like the, the driver's test when you're getting your driver's license. You know, 
you can take it multiple times, but at the end of the day, once you've passed it, you yeah. pass. Same thing for boards for um, for uh, nurses. You know, you take it until you pass it, and you've demonstrated you know it. Same thing can be true for uh, high school. Uh, you know, you take some time to learn it. We've taken some tests and some quizzes. Once you've demonstrated mastery, that's your grade. You know, yeah. and so the driver's test thing makes sense because some kids are going to be awful at driving the first time, and you probably experience this. Um, and other kids like like myself. Well, I don't know if it was me, but my brothers probably. Uh, who are driving tractors and go-karts all our lives and then farm tractors and then you get a new car and it's like, well, I know how to do this already. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Is that That's pretty accurate. Um, all right, we're going to take another break. We're going to hang out here for the rest of the hour with uh, Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel when we come back. Uh, a little bit more on standard-based grading, but then we're going to talk about the Facilities Advisory Co- uh, Commission? Fils- Committee. Committee. Committee and uh, the, the building consolidation the school district is having discussions on. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to get in here. Dr. Aaron Engel, Lacrosse School Superintendent, is hanging out this hour. First time, I think, he's been in the studio. I'm pretty, pretty sure. You haven't been in here before. Uh, I always bug you on the phone. I feel like you're just driving home right after. How, long, how late do you what's – a, what's a school day like for the superintendent? Are you the first one there and the last one to leave? Uh, there's some folks that beat me to school, but I'm usually at work at 6.30 and typically get home around 5.30, so okay. 12, 13-hour days typically. How often do you – and then what what are you doing all day? <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's pretty broad. I'm sure there's a thousand things you're doing, but like, what's the, what's the job of the superintendent typically? Yeah, uh, one of my big jobs is community uh, engagement and communication. And so I'm at meetings across the, the city and the community, meeting with community members. Uh, um, and I have a lot of standing meetings uh, that uh, get me out there in front of folks. Uh, I like to get to buildings uh, for at least four to five hours every week. And so I'm visiting classrooms and buildings and talking to principals and teachers um, and then there's the problems of the day, whatever it might be, and that I'm asked to help brainstorm solutions to and mentor others. And so I, I'm at those things as well. How many times does that happen? Problems of the day. Every day? Every day. Okay. And when you say four to five hours a week, you like to hit one of the, one of the schools. Is that like you just, I'm going to be here for four or five hours in a day? Or, and then also, how do the teachers respond to this? Do you give them warning? Uh, I, I drop in without warning. I'm usually at a school for 45 minutes to an hour, depending on what happens. I try to get to three, four, five schools. Uh, my goal is every two to three weeks, I hit up every school in the district. Mm-hmm. Teachers like that when you pop in? Uh, plenty can you, do. Can you tell? <laughs> I, I try not to, to bother instruction. If teachers have their doors closed or they're engaged in the work, it's not my job to interfere with that. Oftentimes, though, teachers invite me in and they want to oh, sure. have a conversation. It's like, hey, ask Dr. Engel that question and put oh, yeah. me on the spot and it can be fun. So teachers out there, if you know, if you just close your door and then if you don't want Engel to show up in your classroom, just keep your door closed at all times. Uh, maybe we'll put it. They, I bet teachers have a little tracker on you. Engel's coming over to Northside today. Everyone close your doors. That'd be funny if all the doors are closed. You showed up at a school. Teachers know they're doing a great job every day. They have nothing uh, to worry about. I'm there to celebrate their efforts and the great work they do with kids. And I'm making you out to be the bad guy. I don't know why I'm doing that. But you're the boss, right? Like always the boss. You're always worried about when when the boss pops in. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking. All right, last thing on on student standards-based grading. Okay, if you've been doing this since the elementary level and the kids go from elementary to high school, do parents parents take this well? All, All of us 
our age, I, I feel like, you know, if you just go back a decade, we had A, B, C, D, F. I don't know why there's no E. Uh, standards-based grading doesn't eliminate that, but do our parents getting this? Do parents understand this this different grading system? Yeah, I grew up with points and, 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 and letter grades as well, and I, I think for parents, you know, even when they experience it in elementary school, you know, it takes a lot of repetition with it, and uh, it's not natural because we didn't grow up with it ourselves. And so I think, um, you know, and, and parents don't necessarily expect it at the high school level. They expect it at the elementary level. And so there's a little bit of confusion around that. And it takes a couple of opportunities to learn about it. I think um, from my experience, having taught with standards-based grading, you know, 15 years ago, uh, it made things a lot easier for, for me as a, as a teacher, uh, for my students, uh, and for parents over time. But it did take a little while. And when does it take a little while because – there's more work to do and it's just your un- like like a new teacher to set their curriculum they it's going to take a couple of years and then they probably as long as their curriculum doesn't change drastically from year to year eventually they I just going by my old roommate who was a teacher eventually he just gets it you know like the, the science doesn't change so much uh, is that kind of the same with teachers or is the is the system changing all the time yeah, I would say for, for me as a teacher and what I see with ours, it takes a few weeks to get things set up. But once you've got things in place, it pretty much uh, becomes automatic as you move forward. Uh, it can feel like there's a, a few more grades to enter into the grade book sometimes, but that leads to good communication with families. And so while it may be a little bit more work from time to time, the benefit to students and families is significant. And so uh, I really believe there's a payoff in the long run. Do students like this better? Standards-based grading seems to me like a little bit easier on students. Like, oh, you get some leeway here. Is it is it easier on them? Because I, I don't know. Like, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, what I does found, that make sense? Yeah, what I what I found when I was uh, using standards-based grading was I had fewer kids fail because they had more opportunities to show me what they knew. But I also had fewer kids get those top A, A plus grades because uh, I was very clear about what the expectation was to get that top grade. Is Uh, that, is that on you? Is that on the individual teacher to be like, the expectation is here and therefore nobody's getting an A and you're ruining everyone's uh, ability to get uh, scholarships to Harvard? Uh, That's where I think teachers come together and they work together through their professional learning communities to establish what that standard is. Uh, you know, you define what it means to get an A, what it means to get a B. You clearly communicate that to students. So there should be no surprise. There was no student in my class who was surprised at the grade they got at the end of the year. Can one student get an A by doing this much work and another student, I'm lowering and high, uh, raising and lowering my hand, and another student get an A and they're only, you know, like the, 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 the higher student would be, it would be a C for this student and it's an A for this student? Uh, do, you have to, do you have to take every student individually? Standards-based grading is all about what you learned, not what you did. It's mm-hmm. what you learned, and how can you demonstrate that on a, an assessment? Uh, and so it, it's really more fair when it's all said and done. It's not about turning in more sheets of paper or bringing in Kleenex boxes. It's about what did you learn on the test? What could you demonstrate to a teacher? Uh, and that's what we're all about. And so standards-based grading facilitates that. Okay, on the teacher side, how much... You, you're saying it's easy, but to me, it just keeps sounding like what have what have your high school teachers said uh, lately in in terms of because we're just a couple of months into this, right? This is the first year, a couple of months in. Uh, are they are they are they making the change over okay? Well, we've been working towards this for three years, and so while we're actually putting grades on our report cards that are standards based this year, uh, it's been a, a long process. 
Um, and I would say for our teachers, for some, you know, maybe they got some instruction in college on it or the last school district, they were already doing standards-based grading because it's a common practice. Mm-hmm. For them, pretty simple to adapt to this. And, and it's a little bit of work, just like anything is. Um, and for some of our teachers who haven't been exposed to it as much or it's a, a real change, it, it can be a little bit of work. And in my experience, that work is valuable and worthwhile. Uh, and we're providing time for our teachers to be able to get that done. Is the work... Is it paperwork that they have to do or is it like I really need to individually get and this is me not being a teacher. Maybe this happens already. I really individually need to get to know every student and where they're learning and just kind of make maybe make physical notes and mental notes at that. Or is there just a lot more paperwork for for teachers to do? Because we hear about like teacher burnout all the time and uh, teachers are doing all these extracurriculars and not getting paid for it. So now you add this on top of that. Yeah, part of the work is preparation, getting your standards ready, getting your tests aligned to your standards, being prepared for that uh, assessment piece. Uh, and the other part of the work is entering in grades and providing good feedback to students. Uh, and that can be when it's different for the first time. Sometimes it feels like a little bit more. But once you get into those habits and routines, it becomes just as efficient as grading the ways we used to do it. Does the state have any role in this? And do you have to like because you change the grading system, report to the state uh, differently? Yeah, we still report um, letter grades and, and GPAs. And so the reporting to universities in the state, that doesn't change any for us. Okay. Last and maybe the not least, <laughs> Facilities Advisory Committee. Uh, the uh, We've had, this is, what session are we on now? Number 12? Just wrapped up the 7th. We've got the 8th oh, one in November. Okay, so we have one more uh, public – well, is it a public meeting? Well, it's a it's – a, it's, what, what would you call the thing that's happening November 2nd? Yeah, it's the last facility advisory committee meeting. The meetings have been open to the public. They can come and watch if they want to. Uh, they can't participate because yeah. the, the, the goal is for the, the group to make decisions. Um, all the information's up on our website, uh, recordings of the, the sessions if folks want to watch those. Uh, and so as transparent as we possibly can be. And the facilities advisory committee started because if you go back, what, a couple of years, we had the plan to – Consolidate and build a new high school. Consolidate high schools, build a new high school, and that plan fell through. And then is this what came of that, or was there a step in between there? Yeah, for three years now, we've been talking about our three big challenges in the school district. Declining enrollment, uh, deficit budgets, and aging buildings. And one of the solutions that we came up with was the one high school solution through the November referendum in 2023. And to get to that idea, we used focus groups uh, across the, the city, uh, in our in our community, and we also used surveys. And what we heard through that process, because uh, the referendum failed, uh, 70 to 30, uh, was they wanted more community involvement in the development of ideas. Uh, we also heard when we closed Lincoln uh, Middle School uh, earlier this year uh, that folks wanted a little more uh, knowledge about those processes as we move forward. And so as we were thinking about transparency and community involvement, we looked around the state for other examples of how to do this difficult work. And we identified this facility advisory committee as a potential strategy. And so uh, we saw that it was successful in places like Sun Prairie, West Dallas, West Milwaukee, uh, Oshkosh, Appleton, Green Bay, and Wausau. Uh, and so we put together this group, and we've been working for eight months now, or seven months, and we'll wrap up here shortly. Now, the talk lately, I, I think if you if you want to just point to the media, maybe it's our fault, is 
okay, we've gotten to, because we've gotten to the last meeting of the eight, we we're starting to get to some decisions, right? Like these are the decisions we've done this eight times or seven times. Uh, so the, so the talk now is like, we're going to close two of these elementary schools. You said what, there's nine in the, in the district. Yeah, we have nine elementary schools and, uh, the committee has started to get towards some decisions. They haven't made final recommendations yet. And uh, I'm not on the committee. I'm just there to present information and answer their questions. Uh, but what I've seen from the committee is they've uh, generally uh, come to a conclusion that a two-school closure would likely be best for both financial and instructional reasons, uh, and that a north and south pairing would make sense to you know distribute our kids uh, across the city. Okay, so I not I don't want you to rank them, but like the the talk has been. Maybe the number one, Northwoods, number two, Spence, number three, Emerson, and number four, Hinchin. I don't know. Th- those aren't, those probably aren't ranked, but that is that the, those are the four that are being considered like the highest to, to close two of these? Yeah, the committee has consistently identified those four schools as potentials for closure. You know, they've got seven parameters that they've been using to kind of evaluate uh, which of those. Uh, might uh, be best to close and why. And so they've been really grappling with that. And it's, it's a really challenging emotional decision for a lot of folks. And so they take that work seriously. Uh, they've been incredibly thoughtful uh, from my perspective uh, in coming up with those schools. Um, how, how has public participation been at these seven? Can you assess that, like public participation in the first seven committee meetings? Yeah, um, so we've got uh, about 21 uh, regularly attending FAC members. The audience, we set up chairs and, and have a space available for the first, um, you know, five meetings. You know, there were maybe two or three people from the public for the last couple. Uh, it's been 40 or 50. You know, there's been a lot more interest as the uh, FAC has narrowed down their choices. What, what, and what are you hearing from the public in, in terms of this winding down? And I will say there's Public comments, November 27th and 29th, one's in person, one's virtual. Um, uh, Yeah, what are you hearing from the public? Yeah, people love their school, and they don't want it to close. And in in one sense, like, that's exactly what we want to hear. Like, we want our schools to be loved by families and to be loved by their students. So that's that's a a good thing to hear. Um, We're also hearing that, you know, the challenges that we face are are real, and, and people generally understand why we might have to close two schools they just don't want it to be theirs and we totally understand that do you have do you have in your mind like any of these that are kind of yeah these are the ones that are going to close so there's the the four schools northwoods emerson spence and hinchin that have come up through the facility advisory committee pretty regularly Um, they've been um, trying to reach consensus around uh, which of those schools to close uh, at the last meeting, they voted on one of the north on the north pairing, Northwoods versus Emerson. And of the 19 folks that were there, it was 14 to close Northwoods and five to close Emerson. So they've reached some level of consensus on that one. The south pairing, uh, it's still kind of a toss-up. Uh, I think it was uh, 10 votes for uh, Hinchin and nine votes for Spence. And so they might continue to work towards consensus there, or you know, recommend one of the two to the, the school board. What what are they looking at the most? I mean, is it the because when you close the building, you have to what sell it? You have to sell like so you have to think. Well, we can't close the oldest building because it'll be the hardest to sell. But also, we don't want the kids to be in the oldest, crappiest building because that wouldn't that wouldn't be the best for learning, and you'd probably have to update it. So I don't know. Like, what are what are the thought? What's the thought process behind uh, 
which schools to close. Yeah, the, the facility advisory committee members have been super thoughtful, and they've used uh, seven parameters along with some other information to kind of analyze each of the, the buildings and, 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 and why. Uh, what I have seen around uh, Northwoods is it's out in the country. It's on the edge of the city, you know, so it's not where kids live. There's only about 60 students that live within two miles of that building, and so there's a lot of busing that goes out there, and, and families aren't able to be quite as connected to that as a result because they can't walk to school. Mm-hmm. Emerson and Spence have come up because they've got a lot of maintenance issues. There, there are two oldest buildings. Uh, you know, uh, Emerson's I think over ninety years old, and so they've got three, three and a half million dollars in, in maintenance that we can anticipate over the next twenty years. And then Hinchin uh, has a, a unique uh, attendance area. It's kind of shaped like a, a hockey stick or a, a boomerang, and so. Kids uh, oftentimes uh, live nearer another elementary school than the one they're actually attending. Uh, and so, you know, for some FAC members, they think it maybe would lead to less disruption. And so that's what I've seen from the process, why those four schools have come up. So kind of like weird different challenges, right? Like Northwoods, might, I would say Northwoods is kind of like the, the best physically maybe of those. So you talk about those other two are old, but they're probably the best locale, would you say? Yeah, I think that's the that's the weird tension. Can like, we move the school? Can we pick it up and drive it down on a semi and put it in a different spot? I, I think that's like the preferred outcome. Can we lift Northwoods and move it to a place where kids are currently living? Yeah. Um, and then, okay, so you, you, you're going to make a decision after this eighth meeting? Or like when does the decision happen? So the Facility Advisory Committee is putting together a recommendation report, and they will uh, make final edits on that report on November 2nd and uh, send that to the administration and the school board probably in the the week thereafter. Um, Then we'll have um, those two uh, public comment sessions on November 27th and 29th. Okay, so the report will come out after November 2nd. Yep. So between then and November 27th, I should probably have you on to, or somebody else on to kind of understand the report. Yeah, totally. Happy to come on and talk about uh, the the background information that's there, the decisions that they made and and their listed rationale why. Okay. Am I forgetting anything with this? I mean, the the dilemmas with all this, right, is is, as simple as the enrollment is dropping, right? That's kind of the, the we have too many buildings. Too many buildings. In the last eight years, we've lost 719 kids at the elementary level alone, almost a 25% drop. Uh, so just a, a huge reduction in the number of students attending our buildings. And you can kind of put a figure on that m- monetarily, right? Like $11,000 a student, a, that like roughly? Yeah, $11,000-ish per student. It is millions of dollars of lost revenue. And so uh, when we operate more schools than our enrollment would indicate. We're not as efficient, and we have to, to pay for inefficiency. Some people talk about closing the, the Hogan administration building because everyone loves to just like, oh, you administrators, we just get rid of you, your building. Like, you can go work in the schools, right? I don't know if that's is – that, is that a good option? And would that be an option instead of closing one of the elementaries, or would it just be maybe we have to close that anyway? Yeah, we've thought about closing Hogan for many, many years. Uh, And every time we've analyzed that situation, we have found it would cost more for us to renovate another space and move into it than just to keep putting Band-Aids on the the building that we have. It costs relatively little little to operate on an annual basis, and the repairs necessary to make it viable for another 10, 15 years wouldn't cost that much either. Is the Hogan building, could you make it a school building? 
Yeah, it used to be a school until the, okay. the 70s, so it could potentially be a school building. Um, you know, now we're we, adding one. Now we're adding a school building. But that was the high school plan, too, where we're adding a school building. Yeah, there's been thoughts you know, for years to use the Hogan site to build a new elementary school, You know, kind of like the North Side Elementary. Do you bring mm-hmm. two schools together and, and do that there? Um, we're pretty sure the city will designate Hogan as a historic site, so we don't know what the viability of that is. All right, so between now and November 2nd, the, ne- the final ad- facility advisory committee meeting and then November 22nd and 29th public comment, do, what, what do you want from the public or what, what would you like to see from the public in terms of these decisions being made? Not that you would want, but you know, what can the public do? Yeah, uh, the committee has been incredibly thoughtful about putting together their recommendations. We're so thankful for their service to our community, but we know that folks might have different opinions or have different perspectives. And so as we're putting together our long-range facility plans, as our school board is contemplating these really difficult decisions, we want all the input we can get. And so we'll be recording and uh, you know broadcasting all of that comment. We'll be taking close notes and and being able to use that to inform our decisions as we move forward. And we want to give people an opportunity to speak to each other as well. That's Lacrosse School Superintendent Dr. Aaron Engel. Uh, Yeah, that's that's all the time. Thanks, thanks, Aaron. All right, we're going to be uh, Dr. Anthony Chagoski. We're going to be talking politics tomorrow.